0: That will help, okay, hey, good morning, everybody again, good morning, uh again, I hope uh Bree is it working okay, good, uh, yeah, so um you know, we totally rebuilt all the computer stuff this week, and then, um, like a minute ago, I went, oh no, I think I forgot something <laughs> so <laughs> So, try to fix it. Hopefully, it, it's working. Um, so, we started this series, this This Is Us series, two weeks ago, talking about our position and God's plan. God has always desired a relational partnership between uh, His most prized creation, that's you and I, people, and Himself. But because of our sin, you remember what sin stands for? What does it stand for? Selfish in nature. Good job. I don't know who that was. You got a gold star this week. Good job, Julie. Uh, <laughs> selfish in nature. So because of our selfishness, because we always choose or initially our reaction is to always choose self over God and other things, we consistently and continually choose our own way over God's way. So from the very beginning, God has been working his plan to get back to this relational partnership that we lost and we broke in the garden. So from the very beginning, I don't know what's going on there because I just put brand new batteries in. <clears throat> Maybe we need to move the antenna or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, okay. So from the very beginning in the in the garden. Um, before the garden, God knew that our selfishness was going to creep up and was going to cause a problem. And so he had, from the very beginning, this plan to get us back into this relational partnership. Most important point from the message was, whew, okay, I don't, was the realization that the Bible is not about our sin problem, Right? The Bible is not about us. It's not about just what us and God getting us because He needs us or, or um, in in heaven or whatever. But God's and the Bible has always been about plan to be in relation. It's got to be something, right? I don't know. Uh, I watch preachers online on TV and you know, or like you know, some of the guys I follow, Craig Rochelle and some of those other guys. Um, they don't ever have. It. I haven't seen it anyway. I don't know what the deal is with us, but anyway, uh, this is what we get. It's real life, as Tristan said. Um, God's plan has always been to be in relationship with his people. So, of God's universe, um, God is. Tristan, where's your microphone at? Yeah, maybe I I need to do a Moses thing. If this keeps happening... Okay, thank you. I don't know how to unmute it, but thanks. Do I switch that? Okay. Good. Alright, that's a backup. If Easton can't figure it out. <laughs> it's not Easton's fault, by the way. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Okay. So God's plan from the very beginning has always included the birth, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus, as the way for our relationship with God to restored. So it was always his plan. It was always the way it was going to be. And that restoration of that relationship, that's good news. But but people, the Jewish people in particular, they didn't understand what that meant. They they had a different picture of what God was going to do in restoring that relationship. So Jesus, um, Jesus said it this way. This is really... Jesus saying, Look, this is is God's plan. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what God had had set in motion uh, from the very beginning. You can't get to God except through me. So when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he started with the gospel or the good news. This good news about God's new covenant. Not just with the family of Abraham, through the Israelite, the line of the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and then the whole nation came from them. Not just through the family of Abraham, but through the faith of Abraham. And so in this new covenant, what happens is, God says, look, you don't have to be in the bloodline of Abraham, you just have to have the faith of Abraham. you got to have faith like Abraham. So Jesus' gospel includes four declarations and three responses. And and so um, here they are, the declarations. There's a kingdom. Jesus is the king. Jesus died. And Jesus rose again on the third day. And this is what Jesus said in his gospel. We looked at that last week, Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 8. We see these four declarations that, that Jesus makes. This is what the gospel, he says, this is the good news. And then he goes on to lay out these four declarations. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes there about the gospel. And, and he says it's really, it's really weird. In the, in the NIV or whatever translations you might be, be reading, it, it says something like, um, this is the gospel that I preached to you, that was handed down to me. And, and what the original language says is this. This is the gospel that I gospeled, which is kind of funny. Like This is the good news that I, I proclaimed. I, I told you this good news. And, and so in the first couple verses of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses the word gospel like four or five times. It's, it's crazy. It's gospel, gospel, gospel. And then he goes on to say, this is the gospel that you believed, you took your stand on it, this is what your faith is secure in, and this is the same gospel that I received, and now I'm passing on to you. And, and you'll get to be in this relationship with God if you not, don't just hear this gospel, but if you receive it and you hold firmly to this gospel until the end. And then he goes on to lay out. You know what he, you know what he lays out? This is a first importance, he says, that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again on the third day. So if we want to know what the gospel is, the the gospel is, like we talk about the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the gospel really is the good news about Jesus coming to be the king of God's kingdom. that That the king died, he was a crucified king, we talked about that last week. And that he rose again on the third day so that his kingdom would never come to an end. And so Jesus says, here's the the declaration, and and here's what we're to do once we receive this declaration. Here's the response to that. We're to repent, believe, and follow. So I want to go on to, uh, I want to look at these a little more closely today as we talk about uh, the title for the message today is This is uh, Disciple. This is what a disciple is. So we're going to talk about um, what that is. So to repent means to change your way. The word literally means to change your direction, to change your mind, and then change your direction. And so once you hear about Jesus, that he came, that he's the king, that he died, that he rose again on the third day, that should impact your life, so you should change the way that you live. So look, this is how the the Bible says it. Each and every one of us, because of our selfishness, the selfishness in our nature, we're all headed directly to hell. Before Jesus comes, before we know anything about Jesus, this is what we're all getting. We're all headed directly to hell. But Jesus calls us out of that darkness and into the light. And that change, that call requires us to change our direction. So if you live in um, Kansas, particularly here in, in El Dorado, this is how I like to say it because this is how we understand it here as a kind of a bedroom community of Wichita. Let's just pretend that Wichita is hell and El Dorado is heaven. So you live in Wichita, I'm sorry, uh, but it works, okay? And you're, uh, you get on 254 and we're all on the highway, we're all headed west to Wichita, we're all headed to hell. But at some point, Jesus calls us out of that darkness and into light. And so what we do is we take one of those little roads and we make a U-turn and we head back to El Dorado. And so that's a change of direction, right? So the next time you forget something and you're headed out of town and you have to turn around, what you're doing is repenting of your sin, your direction, and you're coming back. Okay, so that's the idea of, of what the word repentance means. It means to change your direction. And before you change your direction, you have to change your mind. So Jesus is saying, look, repent, change the way you think, and then allow that to change the, the, what you do, right? Allow that to affect the things that you do. Stop living for yourself. We talk about the sinful nature. Stop living for yourself and start living for God. That's what the word repent." Means It means to change your ways, the way that I'm living, the things that I'm doing. So as we come to Christ, as we give our lives to Him, as we surrender to Him and begin to follow Him in our daily lives the Holy Spirit begins to reveal the things in our lives that are contrary to what God would have us do, or contrary to what we find in his word. And so little by little, as the Holy Spirit works in us, the Bible says that he does that, he comes in, and he begins to clean house in our lives, and our hearts. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit goes, hey, um, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but um, this really isn't a good thing. It's not good for you. It's not good for other people. It's, It's not something that a follower of of Jesus would do. It's not what Jesus would do. And so he confronts us with that. He convicts us of those things and we begin to remove those things out of our way. So we change our ways. Jesus says that's the first thing. If you're going to respond to the gospel message, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. Secondly, you need to um, believe. You have to click it again, Julie. Believe. And, and believing means a change of, of heart. Something switches on the, the inside. And, and, and I hope that if you're a believer here this morning, you get this. Like you remember that moment when kind of everything clicked. And, and sometimes I like to, to say, it, sometimes it's like a light switch just gets flipped on in, in our lives. And so, you know, I've had people come to church, and, and they've come, you know, maybe weeks and weeks, and, and they're just like, I just don't get it. I, just, I keep coming because I think it's good or for my kids or whatever, and I just don't get it. And then one Sunday they come, and the light switch just flips on. And they're like, okay, that's it. I've like I believe. Like I what what do I need to do? What's next? Like, let's go. And so that's what that's what happens. When we when we um, believe, it's a change of, of heart. And and so from very deep within us, something changes, and because of that change, everything else changes. The way we face problems and challenges in our life changes. When we respond to, to Jesus in that way, we surrender to him. And so when trouble and difficulty and struggle comes in our lives, we handle that differently because we're handling it as a, as a child of God, as a, as a person, as a, 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 as a part of the family of God. And so we respond to those things that come into our lives differently. And what that then allows us to do is, you know, you're at work and like maybe people are getting laid off or there's struggles or something's going on at work and, and you're, you're just able to handle it better you know, like your, your faith, your trust is in God, and so you're not just worried about everything else that's going on or what he said or she said. Like you're just doing your thing and you're just living your life the best you can according to, to Jesus and what he's called you to do. And other people begin to see that. And they're like, hey, why, why aren't you freaked out about this? Why isn't this like destroying your whole life? And, and, and in those moments then we're able to say, well, like, like I have a foundation outside of this. I know that God is in control and, and he's going to, he loves me and, and he's going to work out the best for me regardless of what happens in my life. And, and so this, um, this change of heart then changes the way we face problems and, and challenges. And, and so we have the, the hope of a better life and, and more peace and, and joy and a greater future. When we believe, it sparks something inside of us and it begins to change our hearts and it opens us up to experience life in a whole new way. And We talk about this in, in terms of um, financial stuff and living generously, that, that what we tend to want to do is live with a closed fist, right? And so we, we have, whatever money we have, whatever things, are retirement or whatever it is, we, we want to hold on to it and we don't want to let it go because... If I I open my hand, I might lose it. Somebody might take it. I might steal it or or whatever. So I've got to keep everything that I have. But when we live for God, we understand that the best way to live is to live open-handed. The Bible talks about it in, in terms like this. Don't pretend like everything that you own, you own. Because really, God owns it and, and we need to see the things in our lives as not just our things but God's things. And so we live open handed. So if somebody needs to borrow something, we lend it to them. In fact the scripture says lend without expecting anything in return. Now that's a a big one, right? Like I know how much that tool cost. And I don't know if I want to lend it to you because I don't know if I'll get it back. <laughs> To everyone who's borrowed tools, Uh, so no, I I did I did get the um, the oil changing ramps back from my son-in-law the other day, so that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I well I got them back from my daughter who brought them back for my son-in-law. Anyway, so um, we live open-handed, and so we say, God, this the stuff that I have, it's yours. And I trust you that if, that if I open my hand to other people, I let, you know, I let Lynn or whatever that stuff, that, that I can also receive from you more. Do you get that? So God's able to pour into our lives when we allow things to be poured out of our lives. And so God gets involved in that um, situation. So he opens our hearts. And so we live our hearts, our lives, we live open-handed to God as well. Not just a financial thing. But we open our hearts up too. And and what happens? Then We get hurt. We get offended. Like people say things and do things and it it cuts us. And Jesus goes, well, look, I, I went to the cross, you know for you, for things like that. And so um, this is how we live. So we have a change of heart that allows us to experience life in a new way as we live open-handed, open-heart to God. The third thing that Jesus says is to follow. And, And that means that we have a change of plans. When you follow someone, you give up the way you might have chosen and you give them permission to go the way they want so my, my wife is homesick today. Uh, it's not the COVID, uh, but uh, but we have this thing, and 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 maybe she's not watching this, because she gets upset about this. But we have this thing where we get in the car, and I'll go. Um, I'll go. Which way should I go? And she'll go. Why do you ask me which? way? you know how to get there. Just go. I'm like, yeah, but I know what's coming. <laughs> Because halfway there, you're going to say, well, I wouldn't have gone this way. <laughs> well, okay, but you told me I could go the way I wanted to go. And so uh, when you follow the leader, right, when you give you give up your, the, your right to go the way you want to go, and you follow somebody else's way. Now, by the way, we are getting better with that whole driving thing. It's not as big of an issue anymore. But, but anyway, has been. And so that was a lot of fun. This is a peek into... Um, my life. What we're saying then is God, I, I trust you to lead. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to let you take the lead even if the direction that you're going is not the direction I would have chosen. And that's really the hard part, right? When when we feel like God is taking us to a place or in a direction that we would not have chosen for ourselves. But that's really what following is all about, right? Are you really following God? Um, let me say it this way. <laughs> Can you really say you're following God if you've never had to make a course correction? Like, like if God is always leading you in exactly the way you would have gone, you might have to reevaluate whether or not you're following God. Because we're sinful in nature, right? And so we're going to want to go our own way and do our own thing. And the Holy Spirit is constantly calling us back to follow him to look more like him. And so if you don't have to course correct, you may have to stop and question, am I really following Jesus? When Jesus told Peter and Andrew, James and John in in Mark um, chapter 8 to follow him, they understood that Jesus was offering them an opportunity to be his disciple. So we're going to stick on this idea of follow a little bit because that's really the big thing. So, for these fishermen, they would have understood. So, Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew, who are fishermen, and they're in, the, in a boat, they're fishing. And they're also with um, James and John and, and their dad, uh, Zebedee. They're all in a boat, and they're mending their nets or whatever. And Jesus comes along and he says to them, Follow me. Now, they would have understood that as a call to be Jesus' disciple. And the word disciple in the original language means learner, somebody who learns. So we would maybe say that um, a disciple is like today a journeyman. So a journeyman signs up to work for a company or with a person to learn a trade. And, And they watch you do it. And then they get the opportunity to do it with some instruction and then eventually they've understood, they learned enough to be able to do it on their own. And that's what Jesus was calling the disciples to do, to follow him, to watch what he does, to learn how he does it, and then to reproduce what he does. Jesus gives this whole talk in, uh, in scripture about um, the, the disciple or the learner um, following the teacher and learning everything. He says, is the, which one is better? The one who teaches or the one who who learns? Which one knows more? And so um, there's this whole idea, and these guys were kind of signing up their life to be this follower of Jesus where where they would learn from him on a daily basis. They're going to spend time with him. They're going to see everything he does, what he says, how he teaches, and all of these incredible things. And so this was what was going on. For three and a half years, this small group of people, about 120 in total, but 12 of them who were the closest and most dedicated to Jesus, they followed him around and they learned from him. They'd, they'd repented, right? They'd believed, and then they had committed themselves to following Jesus as his disciples. But in the last 45 days, um, when this comes out, their lives have totally been Uh, flipped upside down and all of their plans have fallen apart. So when Peter and Andrew, James and John and the others began to follow Jesus, they had a very specific idea of what they were doing. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised king, Messiah and Christ mean the anointed one or the God's king. So they believed Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman empire was going to establish the Jewish nation as the predominant world power and that every other nation of the world would basically pay homage and tribute to Israel. Now, if I gave you the opportunity to be a part of that guy's cabinet, you'd take it, right? Like, they believed that they were going to be disciples of this guy who was going to be literally the king of the world, Every other nation was going to fall to Israel. That's what they believed. And so that's why as you read the scripture, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you you hear the disciples saying things to you that you're like, what in the world? Like, do they not get it? No, they don't get it. They really thought that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom, overthrow the Roman occupation, and establish Jerusalem as a world superpower. And then reign forever. And they were going to be his Number one through twelve guys, they were going to be his cabinet. They were going to be the ones who are making decisions. And then Jesus dies, and all of their plans and all their hopes and dreams of this world kingdom, whatever, they all fall apart, and it's at, like they're crushed. They're absolutely crushed. And then three days later, he rises again from the from the dead. And and then they begin to see, right? Jesus spends 40 days with them and he teaches them and he helps them understand. And and then at the end of those 40 days, they come to this kind of um, devastating and, and yet resurrecting realization. That Jesus wasn't calling them to rule along with him. He was calling them to surrender to him. So Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus lays it out this way. This is the very last thing that Jesus says on earth before he goes back to heaven at the end of the 40 days after his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And so the very first thing that Jesus tells his disciples in the very last command that he gives them on earth is to make disciples. He's like, look, I I know that you thought we were going to rule the world, but I've got a different plan. And now you have to put that follow me thing really into practice. And so what I want you to do instead of rule is to surrender and surrender by making disciples. So Jesus ushers in the good news of the kingdom of God by telling everyone to repent, believe, and follow, and then he dies. And then he comes back to life. He sees a bunch of people. He teaches a bunch of people. He gives them new teaching and all of this stuff. And and then he says, this is it. I'm going to the Father, and you are going to carry on in my place. You're going to continue the Father's plan in my place. And the first thing that I want you to do after I'm gone is to make disciples. So Jesus commanded his disciples to make more disciples. And so the question for us is, what's a disciple? What does that that mean? Okay, we've heard already the word disciple means learner. And so we kind of get that journeyman, be a journeyman of um, Jesus. But, but what does it really mean? How do we put that into practice? What does that look like in our, um, in our daily lives? Well, the disciple is someone who is following Jesus. And you can tell because a disciple looks more like Jesus every day. In 2011... My oldest son, Trevor, and I ran the uh, Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, 26.2 miles. I know. Doesn't look like it. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ran over five miles at one time since that day, <laughs> not nine, 10 years ago now, uh, May, May 1st. Uh, It'll be 10 years since I did that. It was absolutely horrible and probably the worst thing I ever did in my entire life. Um, It it was just, it was miserable. And it all started with a um, very hasty and ill thought through decision on on my part. Um, It was early in in, uh, real life church and we had a couple coming to church here and one of them came to me uh, one Sunday morning and said, hey, uh, we're thinking about running the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, would you like to do it? And immediately I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Because I'm stupid. (laughs) And so we were like, okay, uh, got this book, How to Run a Marathon in Four Months. It really a great book, uh, and, and we started following um, the, the, the plan, like how you're supposed to start out, and it's like wherever you start, and then go, this is what you do to be able to run a, a, a marathon in, in four months, and so we started that plan, and we started um, running and, and, and doing all that thing. Um, when I started training, I could not jog three miles without stopping and walking multiple times. So that's how I, physically, that's the shape that I was in when I started that um, process. But then on May 1st, 2011, I finished first uh, full marathon, um, five hours, 17 minutes, and 16 seconds. Um, My son Trevor beat me by 21 minutes. So he was um, four hours and I think 56 minutes. And here's what just occurred to me as I was uh, getting ready to come on stage this morning. Um, that's a minute for every year younger he was than me. And I'm okay with that. So <laughs> that probably, um, that that 21 minutes is probably a tenth of the weight that I had on him as well. Uh, so I, I'm okay. I did it. I, I did my thing. I got a sticker. I stuck it on the car for a while, and then we sold the car, and I'm not doing it again. So the question is, did the decision to run a marathon um, in early 2011, I think it was about January, February, we made the decision to do that in May. Did the decision to run the marathon make me a marathon runner? No. Because there were a lot of people, I guarantee you, there are a lot of people who had the same moment that I had. Do you want to run the marathon this year? And they said, yes! And then never did it. For whatever reason... It never happened. What the difference was, though, is that Trevor and I took steps toward that decision. So what allowed us to finish the race was five months of consistent training. We ran daily and we ran uh, far, and and it was uh, miserable. We followed that decision up with action and with dedication to make it happen, and the same is true of our spiritual lives. There are a lot of people who make a decision for Jesus. They have this mental assent, okay, I believe, so that I don't have to go to hell. But then they never take any physical action toward their decision. So it's 2000 and... What is it? What are we in? 21? 21. 2021. That means I'm heading into my 24th year of being a a, a pastor. And over that time, I've helped a lot of people make a decision for Jesus. But as I look back on that, I think there are a lot of those people that made that decision who never really became disciples. Craig Etheridge uh, wrote in an article about disciple making, when you focus on making decisions you can develop a false sense of success. If the number of decisions is up, you can think you're truly winning people to Christ and even making disciples, even though the quality of the decision is suspect. See, being a disciple of Jesus is not about making a decision. Now, it may start there. In fact, it's got to start there. But just like deciding to run a marathon or start a diet or go back to school, simply making the decision without adding any dedication or determination towards the goal of that decision makes no real difference in your life. A lot of us, if we just went in around the room, we could go, yeah, I've, I've said a lot of, like, I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it. Um, and, and maybe it's like, I'm going to start my diet Monday. Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, and then we just push it back, right? And we never really um get to that get to that place. So what does being a disciple actually look like? Well, we're gonna go back to our gospel um definition and use that as kind of a, a springboard to what does a disciple? Um, look like. So here is our gospel definition Jesus, the King, died in our place and rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with the Father where we can live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. Now, there are three aspects of a follower or disciple of Jesus built into that gospel definition, and they all follow the word we. So, when you see the word we, that should make you think. And the first one comes right here. We live our real lives. One of the things that really set Jesus apart from every every other teacher of the law and religious leader in his day was the way that Jesus lived. He lived as though the laws of God were actually true. That, that, that God really was on the throne, that he really did care about what was going on. And so when the scripture said, do this or don't do that, Jesus followed those things. He lived as though God's word and God's ways were really true. That they were meant to be applied to daily life. And, and because of this, because of this way that Jesus lived, he was able to make present the kingdom of God in his daily life. And so if you and I are going to look like Jesus, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to look more like him every day, we must also make Jesus' kingdom present in our lives. And so here's how this um, works. When you trust God's uh, ways, his word, or his wisdom, when you trust God, um, we're, we're going to look at it this way, when you trust God's word, his ways, and his wisdom, then you make present Jesus' kingdom in your life. You make present the rule and reign of Jesus in your life on a daily basis. So here's how this um, works. Uh, let's take, for instance, trust God's word. If we trust God's word in our daily lives, well, God's word says give, and it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, spilling over. That's Luke six thirty-eight. When we live like that word is true, we live a generous An open-handed life. And when we do that, we make God's kingdom present. And he's able then to get involved in our finances and he um, provides out of his wealth and not just our wealth. And and we're able to share that with others as as, as they see God providing for us in in ways that we can't explain. So um, we trust God's word. Give and it'll be given. We make present. The kingdom of God. We bring that kingdom reign of God to the earth when we follow his word. We do that when we trust God's ways as well. Um, this might be a good one now. When we um, love our enemies and pray for those who are mean to us. That uh, comes from Matthew, 4, or Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And, and that's not normal, right? Praying for those and loving those who are mean to us, that's not a normal thing. It's counterintuitive intuitive for us. But again, when we follow God's ways, he's able to get involved in our lives and he protects and provides us uh, for us in ways that we can't imagine. And so when we um, follow God's ways, when we do things the way God has said to do them, We make present the kingdom of God in our lives. We need to also trust God's wisdom. And so when he says um, things like this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Philippians 4, 6. When you do that, the peace of God, which is beyond understanding, that, that means, by the way, that you can't understand why it's happening or how you can have peace in the midst of your terrible situation. Peace that passes understanding means you can't understand it, okay? So it doesn't make sense. And that peace will guard your heart and mind in in Jesus. So when we follow God's um, wisdom, when we apply God's wisdom to our lives, we're making present the reign and rule of, of Jesus. And so as disciples of Jesus, we must... Trust God just like Jesus did. So as we live by faith, we make present the kingdom of God in our daily lives. We literally function according to the rules of heaven, and that's when miracles happen. You, you, like, need a miracle. You hear uh, preachers all the time talking about miracles. You need a miracle in your life. Um, Look, you're not going to experience that kind of thing until you're making present the rule and reign, you're living out the kingdom of God in your life, God's ways, God's word, God's wisdom. you got to function in, in God's ways if you're going to experience the things that God promises in, in your life. So if you need to see that, like maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's whatever, you got to start functioning as though God's word is true, and that his ways can be trusted, and this is, that his wisdom is actually wisdom for this life and not just some, some other life. Okay, let's look at the next uh, we in the gospel statement. Uh, we daily surrender to Jesus' reign. Obedience was the primary character trait of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Uh, think about this. There are two times... When God physically acts on the earth to show how he feels about his son. okay. So there's two times in scripture that I can think of where where God does something in the physical realm in direct response to what Jesus is doing on on earth. Okay, So God's paying attention, Jesus does something, God shows up in a big way. The first time was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's baptized in the Jordan River by uh, John the Baptist. And, and Jesus shows up there and he says, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 no I, I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, this is right. This is, uh, fulfills all righteousness. This is the right thing for me to do. And so what he was saying was, this is God's way. This is God's wisdom here. And so I need to follow it. I'm surrendering. I'm obeying my father. And so Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And when you read that story in Matthew 3, Jesus comes up out of the water and immediately it says the sky is ripped apart. That doesn't sound like a peaceful, nice, fun, like that sounds like scary, crazy, change your pants kind of moment, right? The sky is ripped apart. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a, like a dove. This is probably a big dove. I don't know what's going on. And God speaks into that moment, right? And he says, this is my son, and I'm, and I'm pleased with him. You want to know the other time that happens? When Jesus dies. And he's on the cross, and he says, this is finished. And what happens? There's earthquakes, and there's lightning. It goes dark. It goes black. Dead people come out of the tombs. The temple curtain is ripped from top to bottom. This was a seven-layer curtain, and one of those layers was the skin of a, of a of like a manatee. It's thick, heavy, ridiculous, and it's ripped from top to bottom in, in the temple. And so God gets involved there. When Jesus is Born again, this is the way the Bible talks about Jesus talks to Nicodemus, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, you cannot have any part of me. And So when Jesus is born again and when he dies, God gets involved. Both of those times, Jesus is being obedient in a personally difficult situation. I think that's uh, important. Jesus then tells us in John 15, 14, 15, if you love me, Keep my commands. And so as Jesus' disciples, we need to surrender to him, which is really surrendering to God, right? Because Jesus doesn't do anything that God doesn't tell him to do. Just like Jesus did, we do. When we surrender, we're being obedient, and we're looking more like Jesus every day. The third we uh, comes at the very end. We wait for his return. Now, none of us like to wait, right? I'm sure nobody would rate. Like nobody likes to wait. We all hate that. Uh, if you go to McDonald's and you have to wait in the drive-through, it's aggravating. Why in the world do we have this? It's one of the hardest things to do, and yet the Bible is full of stories of men and women who had to wait for God's time in their life. And what we learn is that when we're waiting, God is working. God never taken a rest. He's never doing that. While we're waiting, God is working. He's bringing us and all of the other situations to the right point in time so that what he wants can can happen. Noah waited for the flood. Abraham and Sarah waited for their promised child. Uh, Joseph waited in prison. David was anointed king by the prophet. And then he had to wait a whole lot of years before he was actually made king. Paul waited for Ananias to come and and open his eyes. But perhaps the biggest wait is the wait for the return of Jesus. Now in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this. Concerning that day and hour, this is the second coming of Jesus. This is what everybody's talking about right now, okay? Concerning that day and hour, nobody knows not even the angel of heaven, angels of heaven, nor the Son. So Jesus is saying, I don't even know when it's time for me. Like, I have to wait just like you. Because the only one who knows is the Father. And so Jesus is waiting to come back just like you and I are. But here's the biggest challenge with waiting. It's what all of those people mentioned a second ago struggled with. The longer you have to wait on God, the more tempted you are to help him out. And we see that over and over and over again in Scripture. The longer I have to wait on God to do what I think he should do, the more tempted I am to get involved and to hurry God along. So i got a whole bunch of stuff. Let me just try and break it down this way. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus will come back. But um, hear me on this. We have got to stop trying to figure out when. We as people, especially as Christian people, waste an enormous amount of time, especially now with the institution of social media and all of that kind of stuff. We have given a voice to every single person who has maybe no background and no reason to listen to them but because they have a Twitter account, they're somebody important now, and we ought to pay attention to what they say. Crap. So many Christians are watching so many things online now about this guy who calls himself a reverend. He's got all this whatever, and he's talking about when Jesus, I've got this secret information that nobody else knows that God has told me, or I've prayed about it, or I've like this or that, or government this, Garbage. Listen, I'm going to make some folks mad, okay? But but listen, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. If we were supposed to know or we needed to know when Jesus was going to come back and if that was going to be important somehow for believers in Jesus to figure it out, he would have told us. And he didn't. And we as Christians waste an incredible amount of time trying to figure out and to watch this guy and listen to that guy and figure out when Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. All that other stuff doesn't matter. I would rather you spend five minutes reading your Bible and applying it to your life and going, God, what does this have? How does this help me live like you? How does this help me be your disciple? then all of the hours and time that you're spending watching some YouTube guy talk about the end time, whether Jesus is coming back and how Biden being president or Trump going out or whatever's going to happen, it's crap. Every end time prophet thought they were right and read the signs and everybody else was wrong. And they've all been wrong up to this point, you realize that none of them have been right yet. And maybe somebody will get it right. Who cares? Who cares? It does not matter when Jesus is coming back as long as his people are ready for that. It's the whole point of what Jesus was trying to say. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a whole point in what Jesus is trying to say when he gives a story about the, the women and the uh, lamps that they have. He's like, look, it doesn't matter. All, your job as a believer in Jesus and a follower of Jesus is to be ready at whatever time God taps Jesus on the shoulder. And up to that point, the rest of it matters nothing. Don't waste your time Listening and paying attention, and and it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Neither of that that is not productive or beneficial for you in in your faith. Okay, to worry about when Jesus is like, you got to be ready, and you got to help other people be ready. But worrying about when it's going to happen doesn't matter at all. Don't do it. Okay, Craig Etheridge uh, said this. I mentioned him earlier. A quote: Here's the second half of that quote. When you focus on making disciples you have a long-term perspective. Real success is counted when those who make decisions are walking in community, growing in their faith, and able to lead others to Christ. So Jesus told his disciples to make more disciples, to baptize them, and then to teach them to obey. And that's what we want to be about. That's what we want to be doing at Real Life is to be making disciples. A disciple has repented, believes, and is actively following Jesus by living their real lives through the Holy Spirit's power and daily surrendering to and waiting for Jesus. Jesus is not after decisions. He's after disciples. And I do not want you to make some mental decision. Okay, I'm going to be a follower. He wants you to follow. He wants you to follow. Disciples who want to look more like him every day, that's what he's after. And the first physical act of obedience that you and I take in the follow part of that being a disciple is baptism. Jesus told the church to make disciples and to baptize. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's a difficult thing here at Real Life because we're a portable church. Right, we got to pack in every Sunday, we got to pack out every. So we gotta, we gotta go borrow a stock tank. We gotta bring. We gotta fill it. I mean, it's a, it's 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 a big deal. And I'm I'm a little ashamed to say that 2020 we didn't do it at all. Um, we did have some baptisms that took place at the lake, but we didn't do that here in person. Now, part of that was COVID and a bunch of other things, but um, it's a difficult thing. But, But we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And so if you've surrendered to Jesus, you surrendered your life to Jesus, the very first step that you would take is the act of obedience, the physical step of obedience. And so on February the 7th, February 7th, we're going to set up the baptism, and, and we're going to give you the opportunity to um, to be immersed and, and to and to give your life um, to Jesus. Here's how. Um, here's how we're going to say it. If you're ready to follow Jesus without excuse or condition, no matter the cost for the rest of your life, then we want to give you the opportunity to to be immersed. And so, um, here's what you can do. If you're joining us uh, uh, online and you're in the area or, um, you're here in person, you can go to reallifecc.us forward slash I'm ready. You can fill out that form and just say, I'm ready to, to be immersed. Uh, I'm ready to be baptized. Or if you're in person, you can stop back at the connection hub after the service and we'll, um, get you scheduled to do that. But February 7th as a part of the service, we'll be doing, um, baptism. Let me wrap up this way, then we'll pray. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It was Jesus saying, look, there's a lot of people who are going to make a mental decision, but they're not going to become a disciple. A disciple is someone who's striving to look more like Jesus Every day. In fact, that's our definition of a disciple. We've we've got the definition of the gospel, and now we have a definition of disciple to look more like Jesus every day. So, the question I want to leave you with today is this Did you make a decision or did you become a disciple? And if you're not sure, you need to figure that out. And if you think maybe you just made a decision, maybe it's time to become a disciple. And maybe you've been coming to church for a while, been doing the thing, but you haven't ever taken that first physical step of obedience in baptism, you need to take the opportunity to do that. And so um, sign up for that and we'll be ready for you on February 7th. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for loving us, for being with us. Thank you for calling us to something that is bigger and beyond ourselves. God, I, I just pray for us as a church that we would be about making disciples as you called us to and that the disciples that are made would be would be people disciples who make more disciples because that's what you said our job was and so help us to do that father and everything that we do we would we just be following you would be looking more like Jesus every day and we' we'll be calling other people into that life that real life through a relationship with your son Jesus and it's in his name we pray Amen. Hey, uh,